I just want to say again how grateful I am uh, for those of you who, well, for all of you, of course, um, especially if you are, are, have been reading through uh, Mark as we are on this journey, and for those of you who have, who have engaged me um, in, in questions, and it's been really fun. I, I really enjoy that. And, and some of your questions are, are good, to which I give a, a highly sophisticated theological answer. I don't know. <laughs> but it is, uh, it's, it's fun to, to dialogue together. And, and admittedly, uh, when you are looking closely at the life of Jesus, uh, particularly as we read through the Gospels, there's a lot that is left unsaid. And uh, there's a lot of things that I'd like to finish up, you know, in a neat and tidy way. Uh, but the reality is that I think often we are called by the Spirit of God in our lives to, to, to do some hard work, to do some prayerful work, and to do some, some good listening work, and uh, to see where, where the Lord wants to take us in our own personal lives in response to some of the things that, that we are, are reading. One of my, my prayers in this adventure together is that, that we will that we'll come to know Jesus better than we ever have that uh, just the, 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 the realness and as well as, can I say sometimes, the, the rawness of his life and, and who he was and how he faced things and, and dealt with things and, and, and interacted with people, that that, that will just begin to, to, to shape us in ways that, that perhaps we haven't been shaped before. And to be quite honest with you, and I'm saying this for myself, perhaps more than any of you, is that it will result in it'll result in a life that has some action in it for the sake of Jesus that might actually be a little bit bold and daring. Wow. Bold and daring. You know, it's considered even by some to, to maybe be a little bit uh, crazy or reckless. I think that is what his mission, words on the screen for us, first chapter of Mark, as Mark introduces the mission of Jesus. That's what his mission is all about, to repent and to believe the good news. To really repent and to believe in the one who not only brings the good news, but is the good news, that is going to create change. In our lives, kingdom of God has come near. In Jesus, we see life as it was intended to be lived, and we also see life and the mess that we have made of things. And we know that His death and resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit into our lives makes possible a new way of living. Have you ever asked yourself, came to me this week. Ever ask yourself the question in a quiet moment where you can just kind of let your mind go for a bit, what difference has Jesus made in my life? What difference has Jesus made in my life? Because one of the inescapable truths is as we read encounters of people with Jesus in Mark's gospel, uh, 
is that lives are changed. Lives, at least many that we see, are, are never the same. To repent and believe the life story and the message of Jesus will bring change. And the fundamental change that he brings is salvation from a life that has been lived with myself on the throne. That's the fundamental change. An abdication of our life's throne, that place where we're sitting and ruling and on the center of things, an abdication of that to Jesus means that, that he now sits there and he rules. And that is where the ongoing change comes from. So there is that sense in which, yes, Jesus has changed my life, and we know the theological truth from, from being in rebellion against God, whether I knew it or not, that's Pauline theology, to being a child of God. And suddenly, it's no longer, to quote Paul, I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I live this life on a daily basis. I live it in faith through faith in the one who gave himself for me. And so, not only has he changed us, but the question then I think also becomes one of, how is my life continuing to change on a daily basis? That's why I think there's so much value in following the life of Jesus in the Gospels. And I know that I have I've said this before, but I really believe that the discipleship lessons that those original disciples were learning as they walked with Jesus on a daily basis, I think that those lessons are, are our lessons as well. We need to wrestle with the things that they wrestled with as they followed their rabbi, getting to know him better. And especially those times when they must have thought to themselves, oh boy, what have we gotten ourselves into? I think that's where, that's where boldness and courage comes when it's empowered by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God, as I've said too many times probably, comes to, to empower us to live lives that are, that are focused and guided by the values of the kingdom of God, not the values of the kingdom of, of our world. We see the life of Jesus as the life that he calls us to live, then there will be those times when, wow, this is challenging. And if we think, this is what struck me this week, you know, if we think that following Jesus is easy, then we probably aren't following closely enough. I really think that's a possibility. Read this story from a mom. Uh, or uh, yeah, from a mom, written by a mom, but about her, she's a, uh, she lives in a tiny rural town in the south. She writes this, as the only English teacher in a small rural school, I had the mixed pleasure of teaching my own three sons. They begged me not to call on them in class, not to use them as examples, or tell any family stories. 
to which I agreed. On the first day of class, they each invariably would choose a seat in the far corner and refuse to make eye contact with me. I left them alone. But making it to the high school English class in this little community is a rite of passage for the rest of the students who come and they are eager to participate in my class. I watched as my sons began to see me through the eyes of others. One day, my oldest son asked me in a rather puzzled tone, Mama, do they know who you are? <laughs> now, I'm sure he was referring to the fact that I was just a mother, to which I responded, Son, do you know who I am? <laughs> For us, as followers of Jesus, I think he speaks into our lives through his life in the gospel revealed for us, saying, my child, do you know who I am? There's, there's always that, that danger of familiarity, and we're going to come to that this morning in the story. I've chosen the first two stories in, in Mark 6 for our text this morning, and as I am prone to do, Allie, always apologetic uh, you know, towards you this morning, where I think I'm going at the beginning of the week is not where I end up at the end of the week. Um, I realize that I'm usually in over my head when I think I can do more than what I've done. So, a couple of lessons this morning. We'll spend most of our time on the first one, touch on the second one, which will then lead us uh, into a story next Sunday that is from Mark 6, but then I think also uh, prepares us for Mark 7. So, all that to say, here we go. Let's stand and read together from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. All right, here we go. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came <coughs> to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons 
and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Wow. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and be seated. Good stuff. So, Mark begins this text with, he left there. Where's there? Well, at the end of chapter 5, Jesus was in Capernaum, where he had large crowds following him. He had been teaching and doing some amazing miracles. We, we read in chapter 5 of the healing of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years of her life. He raised to life the daughter of Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. Jesus was having what we might call a very successful ministry in Capernaum. Do you think his disciples were thinking, why, why leave? It's, it's not unlike Mark chapter 1, where, gosh, all these people were coming out and, and, and meeting Jesus, and he was preaching and teaching and doing great things, and, and they had day two planned of just a great extravaganza, and Jesus said, no, we got to go. I need to go preach somewhere else. So Mark tells us that despite this incredible ministry that is, is happening in Capernaum, Jesus decided to leave there and go to his hometown. Remember where his hometown was? Nazareth. Now there is a tourist destination. <laughs> Nazareth. It's interesting to read some of the commentaries and, and you know when you can find some of the, the, the early uh, the earliest literature and some of the commentaries, uh, even from just a lot of the secular literature about the town of Nazareth. Just this little backwater kind of a place that nobody really cared a whole lot about. Which says something, as we have talked about in the past when it's the Advent season, says something about the character of God that his son would be born in a place like Nazareth. Come on. Luke tells us that it seems anyway, as best we can kind of piece the chronologies together in the Gospels, Luke tells us that, that Jesus had gone to Nazareth at an earlier point of it in his life, or so it, it seems, and he went into the synagogue and he read from the Isaiah scroll. Now, we've, we've all heard these words. This is in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then Luke tells us that the people were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. That is until his words became a little bit more convicting and a little more pointed and a little closer to home. And then he tells us that the people got furious. They drove Jesus out of the synagogue and tried to push him over a cliff. Yeah. They were real happy about Jesus being there. But 
Luke tells us that he walked right through them and went on his way. Nazareth? Why? Why, Jesus? So can we put the, uh, the next slide up, Karen? Oh, you're there. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom? What has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Brother James and Joseph, Judas and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Why do you think Jesus wanted to go to Nazareth? Ask your neighbor what they think about that. Why did he want to go to Nazareth? All right. What do you think? Why did Jesus want to go to Nazareth? Well, I, don't you feel pretty confident that he, he knew what was going to be the reception? Seems likely. Why do you want to go to Nazareth? Didn't want to give up on his family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar idea. Yahoo! I think that's the right answer. <laughs> teacher's pet, teacher's pet. I do think that plays into it, and I also agree with what else has been said. Also, we, we have to remember, Jesus was clear uh, that he didn't do anything or say anything that wasn't his Father's will. So, so we can understand that the decisions that Jesus made, places that he goes, uh, those are directives that are coming from his Father as they as they live in relationship uh, with one another. But yeah, I think, I can't help but think that we're seeing this, this, this vivid picture of the humanity of Jesus. Uh, and, and if we understand what, what, what his humanity might be driving him to in this story, I think it can be enormously encouraging to us as believers. I do. I think he, I think he cared greatly about his family. I really do. Nazareth is, is where his, his half-brothers and sisters live. You know, Mark spells them out for us. Uh, you notice, however, the sisters weren't named. That's characteristic, and I apologize for that, ladies. Uh, it's where Mary and Joseph live. It's, we've already seen them in Mark chapter 3. You remember when Jesus was in Capernaum before, his family came to restrain him. His family came to take him away because they thought he'd lost his mind. That's just a, a vote of affirmation, isn't it? But Jesus wanted to go to Nazareth. I think so that he could preach and that he could minister to them. It's a longing of his human heart. Like ours, we long Many of us, for the people that we are closest to, those who are, who are family or, or like family, we long for them to know Jesus. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus in his humanity thought that perhaps word of the miracles that he'd been doing in Capernaum, just uh, not that far to, uh, to the south, if Jesus thought that perhaps word of those had gotten home that the hometown folks and family might now be more receptive to his, his claims. But 
Obviously, they were having none of it. And at first, they were amazed and impressed, but, but as they talked among themselves, there is, there is this spirit of contempt that, that grows in their minds. Oh, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of these boys that we know? Aren't his sisters here with us? And, and here's an interesting thought. That question, isn't this Mary's son? That was probably intended to be an insult and something very derogatory directed against Mary because sons in that ancient world were always referenced in relationship to their fathers. Even if the father was dead, they're always referenced as the son of so-and-so. So to link Jesus to his mother, even though we look back on it from the bigger picture and we realize, well, they were correct. You know, he is, he's only linked physically to his mother, but their intention was to suggest the possibility that maybe someone else was the father of Jesus. Yeah, that started in Nazareth a long time ago. Shortly after Mary and Joseph started talking about this miraculous conception. They weren't referring to the possibility that God was Jesus' father. The scandal of Jesus' miraculous birth still wasn't gone from Nazareth. So, lesson number one. Simple one. But I think it's so important. Familiarity with Jesus can lead to contempt. Familiarity with Jesus can lead to contempt. Read a few lines by a, a 16th century French philosopher this week. Michel Montaigne, writer, politician. He said this, he said, At home, I'm considered just a scribbling country proprietor. In the neighboring town, I am a man of recognized ability. And farther away, I am a noted author. He said, the greater the distance away, the greater he became. Some of you here this morning, you know the pain of a family member or close friend that just doesn't care to hear what we have to say about Jesus. It is what I'm calling the Nazareth principle. Family and close friends, they know us well. And some of them knew us well. In some cases before we'd come to know Jesus. Or they know us now and despite all of our efforts to be humble and respectful and non-pushy and apologetic, in some cases for the person that we once were, we apologize it doesn't matter. They're not interested. You know those folks in your life, don't you? Yeah. Here's the deal. If we are being honest about who Jesus is, and I believe that's what he calls us to, 
if we're being honest about who Jesus is and why we and everyone that we know needs a Savior, well, the reason is offensive. It's because of sin. Sin has wrecked us. And we need to be saved from ourselves and saved back into the relationship for which we were created for this life and for all eternity. The people of Nazareth took offense at Jesus and so we ought not to be surprised when we live our lives as his faithful followers and and they take offense with us. They may be rejecting us, but more tragically, they're rejecting Christ in us. And the message of sin and the necessity of repentance and the importance of a Savior. I think it was about 18 or 19 years ago that I took my initial foray onto Facebook. It was starting to get more popular, and, and I started getting messages from people that I'd gone to high school with. Maybe some of you can relate to this. I hadn't seen those folks in a long time. You know, so the question, of course, is, so at that point, you know, what have you been doing for the last 25 years or so? Those people who sent messages to me, I, I remembered a lot of those folks from our high school days. The problem is, is that a lot of them remembered me from our high school days as well. So, it was, I, I can remember this like it was yesterday. I remember thinking, oh Lord, here's an opportunity to maybe make up for some lost time. Because I wasn't a saint in high school. Theologically, some would say, well, yes, you were because you had put your faith in Jesus. But I lived with, you know, a foot in the world and a foot in the church and just depended on the week which world I was in more. And so I remember thinking, this is really cool. You know, I can, I can respond and just share a little bit that maybe will we'll grab their interest. And so you can imagine, so what have you been doing for the last 25 or 30 years? And I said, well... You're probably going to find this hard to believe, but I'm a pastor. Probably 90% of those friends didn't respond. <laughs> and I, I just remember thinking, oh, man. You know, what, what do I do with this? Do I, do I go further? Do I, do I push? Do I pray? And then, miracle of miracles comes time for my 40th high school reunion. At that point, probably another 15 years after that. 40th high school reunion. And they asked me if I would speak at the reunion. Well, guess who I spoke about? <laughs> I just had the opportunity to, to share my testimony with them. I had the opportunity to apologize for being such an idiot in my high school years and taking so long to tell them about this Jesus who was my Savior and, in fact, now for sure at that point in time, had changed my life. 
And it, it was just, it was such an amazing encouragement to me that, that God brought it back around. And just even in a small way, I could, I could push out into that area of, of speaking again to folks who had known me so well. Um, Mark tells us that Jesus could not do many miracles in Nazareth. He just healed a few sick people. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. I think I want to be clear about that statement. Jesus could not do miracles because he would not do miracles. Omnipotence is not omnipotence if it is limited by anything other than self-will. And Jesus, even though in the flesh, with some limitations that come with the flesh, I believe had the power of God to do what he did at any point in his life that he chose to do. They lacked belief. The people of Nazareth didn't believe in who Jesus was. So I think out of this text comes an encouragement for us to continue to pray faithfully for those we know and love who have yet to believe in Jesus. That's the starting point. It seems to me, too, if I can add this, that we need to be careful about how we present the person and the work of Jesus. I said, you know, lesson number one is that familiarity with Jesus can breed contempt. Well, for those in our lives who have heard a lot about Jesus, or for those who aren't in our lives or not that close to us, but, but they know about Jesus, they've heard about Jesus, their familiar, familiarity, whatever the source, has, has caused a, a hardness of heart to come in towards him. I also think that we as God's people, in recognizing this truth in others, can become a bit contemptuous in our own conversation and thinking about Jesus if we're not cautious. And here's what I mean. <clears throat> we, let's take someone that, that we love so much. Gosh, you know, they've, they've lived so many years without Christ. I want them to know Jesus so badly. And so... How is, it that we, how is it that we present Jesus to them? Do we present Jesus as the one who's going to fix their life problems because we know them well and we know that there's a lot of life problems and gosh, it would be great if Jesus would fix those. Do we present him as the divine fix of their life's problems or, or do we cautiously remember <clears throat> that Jesus was interested in the belief of a person in him as the one who brought the good news, the Savior that made life in the kingdom of God possible. In other words, do we, do we sometimes sacrifice or soften the truth? And again, I'm not suggesting that we bang people over the head with the truth, but that we always remember that a person's greatest need if they don't know Jesus is that they will know Jesus. Humanity's greatest need is a Savior. To be saved from ourselves, the sinfulness that ourselves indulge in that is evidence of our separation from 
the one who made us for himself. We need to be cautious, I think, of the Nazareth principle. Familiarity with Jesus leads to contempt seeping into our own lives out of a great heart's desire that someone would would profess faith in him and come to know him so that we don't mislead people. Does that make sense? It's a subtle temptation, I think, to to tell people that if, if they would just come to Jesus, all their problems would be solved. Come to Jesus and, and, and you'll, you'll step into the life that you've, you've never dreamed possible. We don't know that. I mean, we understand it from where we look and have our relationship to Jesus. But what we do know, most importantly, is that genuine repentance for sin will bring them into relationship with the Savior that they desperately need. And then God gets to do with that what God wants to do. He will bless them in the way that He chooses, and He will bring hardships in the way that He chooses. He will stretch them and test them, as Sarah reminded us this morning, in the way that He chooses. And so for us to to soft-pedal or to back-pedal on the problem of sin, I think, is maybe an unintentional way of showing contempt for who Jesus is. The second lesson comes from the story of Jesus sending out the twelve. Let me just say a couple of quick things about this, and we'll do more with this first thing next Sunday. The second lesson is that The mission is urgent, and distractions abound. They do. The mission is urgent, and distractions abound. It's interesting that that the Greek word or phrase that we translate two by two uh, is is duo-duo. That's that's how it's, it's written in the Greek. So we're talking about dynamic duos here. that Jesus has put together. But it's just so ironic to me when when we we lay on top of this what we know about those first disciples. They They were characters. They were zealots. They were tax collectors. They were betrayers. They were stupid. They were human. They're like us. Like us in in every way. And Jesus empowers them to go out with the authority to, to cast out demons. Jesus empowers those that don't have authority to have authority. And why did he do that? I think it's because of their belief in Him. And I think it was a short-term mission. Sometimes the question is asked if that's what, what Jesus intended for all of us. I think there are some cultural things that we can look at together that will, that will answer that question for us. 
But it brings me back to that original question early on. Makes me wonder about things that, that we might experience in our lives if we were willing to, to maybe just live a bit more recklessly in obedience to Jesus. Maybe to live with, with a bit more abandonment in, in our trusting and believing in Jesus. The praise team is going to come and they're going to lead us in a song this morning about, the, uh, about walking on the water. You know, Mark doesn't tell us that Peter walked on the water. He tells us that Jesus walked on the water. It's, it's Matthew's gospel that gives us Peter's response to, well, Lord Jesus, if it's you, call me. Tell me to come out there. And he did. The rest of the disciples must have been thinking, oh, Peter, you're doing it again. But he walked on the water, at least for a short time. What a statement of, of trust and confidence that produced in Peter's life and for those who watched him for just a short time an amazing miracle I think one of the temptations that we that we always have to resist as we read Mark's gospel because he says things like you know those who follow Jesus are going to do greater things than he did and and our mind goes to the greater things at least that's what mine does you know, well, yeah, I want to be able to do all those great things. But then the question is, well, how intimate are you, guy, with Jesus? Are you so intimate with Jesus that it's his words, his life, his thoughts that flow out of you on every occasion? And that's where I usually get hung up. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you this morning as being the one who came to save us from our sin, to save us from ourselves, to, to redeem us back into a relationship for which we had been created from the very first moment of life for us. God, we recognize that this was your plan for all eternity, and so you, through your Son, sending Him into the world to, to speak out a message and to live out a message that the world hadn't seen and that your people, in large part, rejected. God, remind us of these truths so that as we live our lives on a daily basis as followers of Jesus, we won't be disappointed with expectations of people just loving us and thinking that we are wonderful because we can do great things. And they rejected our Lord. We too should expect rejection. And yet, you call us, no matter what, the results, to be faithful, to teach, to preach, to live the values of the kingdom of God in this world in which we live. Would you strengthen us for that task don't let us be people ever who, who show even the slightest contempt for Jesus and his sacrifice and his life that was so necessary for the salvation of lost and broken people. And we pray in his name.